All right, well, welcome back to our study of systematic theology. Uh, tonight, we are looking at the substitutionary atonement. Last time, we looked at the offices of Christ. Next time, we'll look at the, the reason for Christ's death. Um, we will follow our, our usual instruction, in, um, usual setup tonight, and we will start with our article related to the topic here that I think is helpful as an introduction to what we're looking at. I'll read that for you, and then we'll pause, and we will watch our video. Then we'll go through our overview and questions from the video, make sure we, we learned what, uh, what was presented, and we can have some discussion questions at the end. And um, then we'll look briefly at our confession again. We're still in chapter 8 of the confession. I'm just going to read one paragraph. I'm not going to reread the whole chapter since we've already done that. But we'll just look at the one paragraph that specifically deals with this topic. All right, so let's look at our article here by way of introduction. The word vicarious is extremely important to our understanding of the atonement of Christ. The late Swiss theologian Karl Barth once said that, in his judgment, the single most important word in all the Greek New Testament is the minuscule word huper. The little word is translated by the English phrase in behalf of. Barth was clearly engaging in a bit of hyperbole in making this statement, because many words in the New Testament are arguably as important or even more important than huper. But he was simply seeking to call attention to the importance of what is known in theology as the vicarious aspect of the ministry of Jesus. He made satisfaction for our debt, our enmity with God, and our guilt. He satisfied the ransom demand for our release from captivity to sin. However, there is another significant word that is often used in descriptions of the atonement, substitution. When we look at the biblical depiction of sin as a crime, we see that Jesus acts as the substitute, taking our place at the bar of God's justice. For this reason, we sometimes speak of Jesus' work on the cross as the substitutionary atonement of Christ, which means that when he offered an atonement, it was not to satisfy God's justice for his own sins, but for the sins of others. He stepped into the role of the substitute, representing his people. He didn't lay down his life for himself. He laid it down for his sheep. He is our ultimate substitute. The idea of being the substitute in offering an atonement to satisfy the demands of God's law for others was something Christ understood as his mission from the moment he entered this world and took upon himself a human nature. He came from heaven as the gift of the Father for the express purpose of working out redemption as our substitute, doing for us what we could not possibly do for ourselves. We see this at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, when he initiated his public work by coming to the Jordan River and meeting John the Baptist. Imagine the scene at the Jordan that day. John was busy baptizing the people in preparation for the coming of the kingdom. Suddenly he looked up and saw Jesus approaching. He spoke the words that later became the lyrics for that great hymn of the church, the Agnes Day, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, John 1.29. He announced that Jesus was the one who had come to bear the sin of his people. 
In his person, he would fulfill all of what was symbolized in the Old Testament sacrificial system, by which a lamb was slaughtered and burned on the altar as an offering before God to represent atonement for sin. The lamb was a substitute, so in calling Jesus the Lamb of God, John was asserting that he, too, would be a substitute, but one who would make real atonement. Jesus came to John and, to John's horror, asked to be baptized. Scripture gives us John's reaction to this request. John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? Matthew 3.13 That simple statement must have masked a deep confusion on John's part. He had just announced that Jesus was the Lamb of God, and in order to serve as the perfect sacrifice to atone for the sins of his people, the Lamb of God had to be without blemish. He had to be completely sinless. But the ritual of baptism that John was calling all of Israel to undergo in preparation for the coming of the Messiah was a rite that symbolized cleansing from sin. So John said, in essence, it would be absurd for me to baptize you because you are the sinless Lamb of God. John then put forth an alternative idea. Jesus should baptize him. This was John's way of acknowledging that he was a sinner who needed cleansing. Jesus overrode John's protest. Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for, this, <clears throat> for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Matthew 3.15 Jesus' choice of words in the statement is interesting. First he said, Permit it to be so now. The fact that Jesus gave his command to John in these particular words shows that he understood there was some theological difficulty involved. It was as if Jesus was saying, John, I know you don't understand what's happening here, but you can trust me. Go ahead and baptize me. However, Jesus went on to give an explanation as to why John should baptize him. He said, It is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. The word fitting here can also be translated as necessary. In other words, Jesus said it was necessary for him to be baptized. How was it necessary? John the Baptist had come as a prophet from God. Jesus would say later, Among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Luke 7.28 Through this prophet, God had given his covenant people a new command. They were to be baptized. We should never think that God stopped expressing his will to his people after he spoke the Tenth Commandment. A multitude of laws was added to the basic Ten Commandments after they were given. The command that his people undergo this cleansing rite to prepare for the breakthrough of the divine kingdom was merely the latest edict from God. Before he could go to the cross, before he could fulfill the role of the Lamb of God, before he could make himself an oblation to satisfy the demands of God's justice, Jesus had to submit himself to every detail of every law God had given to the nation. He had to represent his people before the bar of God's justice in every detail. Since the law now required that all of the people be baptized, Jesus, too, had to be baptized. He had to fulfill every single command of God if he was to be sinless. He wasn't asking John to baptize him because he needed to be cleansed. He wanted to be baptized so that he could be obedient to his Father in every detail. That's the point Jesus was making here to John, because Jesus' mission 
was to be the substitute, the vicarious sacrifice offered to God. Jesus understood this and embraced it. From the start of his ministry, he knew he had come to act as a substitute on behalf of his sheep. At the center of his teaching was the assertion that he was doing this not for himself, but for us, to redeem us, to ransom us, to save us. All right, I hope that's a good introduction to this. Um, let's go ahead and pause and watch our video, and then we'll get into our overview and discussions. All right, so we've just finished watching our video. I think it was a helpful video. Let's go through our uh, overview and look at our questions now. So we're looking at, this is session 28, we're looking at the substitutionary atonement introduction. The classic, <coughs> excuse me, the classical view of Christ's atonement is the substitutionary satisfaction of God's justice is necessary for salvation. Here we look at the different aspect of Christ's atonement found in Scripture. Overview. Christ's atonement is one of the most magnificent parts of theology. Anselm's Cur Deus Homo, Why the God-Man, is one of the most famous works that dealt with Christ's death. The New Testament uses several metaphors to describe the atonement. Like a tapestry, it has several strands woven through it. Redemption or purchase, ransom theories, bride price, Christus Victor, governmental theories, and satisfaction theory. The satisfaction theory goes to the heart of the cause and need of the atonement. This theory is based on the justice of God, which is closely related to his righteousness and goodness. God's justice is perfect. Will not the judge of all the world do what is right? We have both pecuniary and moral debt toward God, as was illustrated by the boy in the ice cream shop. God is both just and the justifier of the ungodly. So our questions and answers uh, for review. What does the Greek word huper mean? It means alongside of. Karl Barth once remarked that huper was the most important word in the Bible when speaking of Christ's redemption. Redemption is accomplished for us by someone else. What animal was used to symbolize the transfer of one sin to another on the Day of Atonement? That would be the goat. The scapegoat was brought to the high priest who transferred the sins of the people to the goat by the laying of hands and then chased the goat outside the camp away from the presence of God. A lamb was then slain and its blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. These sacrifices were shadows that pointed to Christ's authentic atonement of substation. What is expiation? The transfer of righteousness. The transfer of righteousness is the removal of guilt. Propitiation is the satisfaction of the moral obligation. Both the horizontal and vertical dimensions of atonement involve a substitute. We are saved by Christ's obedient life and death. That's something I always, I always like to remind people. We're not just saved by Christ's death. We are saved by his obedient life and his death. What is the basic question of the atonement? What do I do with my guilt? We all know deep down that we are guilty before God. The answer to that guilt is the death of Christ on our behalf. So the question is not, why did Christ die? 
but how can his death remove my guilt? What is the covenant curse of sin? Spiritual death. Apart from Christ, we cannot dwell with a holy God. Christ became a curse for us so that we might be restored to the presence of God. What is the covenant blessing secured for us by Christ's atonement? The promised land. Christ secured through his atoning death on the cross access to the presence of God. Sin destroyed our relationship with God, and Christ's substitutionary work of atonement restored that relationship. And let me mention here, we will uh, cover a lot of this again next week. The, this session and next time session uh, are kind of intertwined together. Uh, what are the different theories of the atonement? And describe them. Remember what they were? They're listed up there at the top. So we have. Oh, well, we can't read them. Yeah, they have redemption or purchase, if you prefer, ransom theories, bride price, Christus Victor, governmental theories, and satisfaction theory. All right, and did we kind of, from his, his video, did we kind of understand what each one of those uh, is about? Any, any questions on any of those as, as he talked about them? Did that make sense to you? Like the understanding what redemption means and what those ransom ideas are, whether it's the, the ransom from Satan, which I, I don't agree with and I don't think Sproul agrees with either, or the ransom from, from God's wrath. The bride price he talked about, um, kind of like a dowry, having to pay the price for the bride. The church being Christ's bride. Christus Victor, that, that's obviously the, the victory of Christ. And that would be the victory of Christ over the evil one, over Satan. Um, he, t he briefly mentioned governmental theories and satisfaction theory. Okay, why is the satisfaction theory more accurate than the others? So the satisfaction theory, obviously being that it satisfied God's uh, wrath, his, his obligation of, of justice, right? So evil has to be punished to be a just God. There has to be justice there. There has to be some kind of satisfaction, right, for the atonement there. So why, why is that theory, you think, more accurate than some of the, the others we mentioned? Not that, not that it's saying this is, like he mentioned, there, there's aspects of all of them that are interwoven into the idea of atonement. Um, so it's not to say that only satisfaction theory is correct. We throw all the others out. That's not what we're saying. We're simply saying for the satisfaction theory, why do, you, why do we feel like that, that kind of encompasses more of what happened in the atonement than the bits and pieces from the other theories? More logical, okay. Yeah, and it kind of, to me, I think it kind of gets to the, the core here. It, it, we're talking about a righteous, a holy, a just God. So what is the core element needed when you have a sinful people um, in order to be restored to their creator? Well, that would be to satisfy the justice required of their sin, right? So, And that would where the satisfaction theory comes in. So I guess I would look at that as kind of the more the elemental theory, 
whereas the other theories are, are certain, certainly um, aspects of them uh, are, are correct. I mean, obviously there is a redemption. There is a, a bride price paid. Christ is victorious over Satan. So it's not that those are wrong, but I think at the core of it, it's the satisfaction of God's wrath because of his justice. Evil must be punished. Okay, how can God be just and yet be the justifier of sinners who do not deserve mercy? And I just put a note here to use biblical logic. So let me say that again. How can God be just and the justifier? He kind of talked about this at the end, right? Right, so God is, is, is the judge, he is the just one, but at the same time, he has ordained a way for us to uh, pay that moral debt, that moral obligation uh, through Christ, right? So therefore, he is in essence the justifier as well. He realizes that we cannot be restored to him without that debt being paid, and that's a debt we can never pay on our own. So in his mercy, rather than just condemning us all, he became the justifier and sent Christ to live and die on our behalf. So he is both just, but also the justifier by sending Christ. Any thoughts or, or discussion on those questions? Okay, let's, uh, we'll wrap it up here by looking at one paragraph in our confession. Uh, I mentioned before we've already read the entirety of chapter 8, so I'm not going to do that again. But we will look just at paragraph 5, because it deals specifically uh, with what we're discussing tonight. So if you have your confession, you can open it up to chapter 8, paragraph 5. It's pretty brief. The Lord Jesus, by his perfect obedience and sacrifice of himself, which he, through the eternal spirit, once offered up to God, has fully satisfied the justice of God, procured reconciliation, and purchased an everlasting inheritance in the kingdom of heaven for all those whom the Father has given unto him. And there are some uh, scriptural references here that go along with this paragraph. Um, we won't take time to look them up here, but I commend them to you. If you want to do that later, you can make note of those. Hebrews 9.14, Hebrews 10.14, Romans 3.25 and 26, John 17.2, and Hebrews 9.15. Okay, uh, any, any questions or thoughts, comments on what we just studied tonight? And again, next time, uh, we'll be closely related to what we looked at this time when we look at the reason, the reason for Christ's death. All right, I'll go ahead and close this real quick in, in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have given us your word and your truth to study and to meditate upon and to feed upon. Uh, Lord, we ask that it has edified us tonight, that it has been a blessing to us. Uh, we pray that we would gain a further understanding of your truth and uh, your realities, Lord. And we ask that you would continue to guide and direct us uh, in that effort. And uh, Lord, that 
if any error uh, is there that you would uh, put it aside or, or open our eyes to, to see what error may be. Lord, we just uh, pray uh, that you continue to watch over, guide, and protect us, uh, each and every one of us uh, here and, and listening in. And we just ask that you would continue uh, to bless us. We pray that we would continue to seek your truth and seek your face, Lord. And we pray that you would forgive us for our sins. We thank you that we do have uh, atonement, uh, substitutionary atonement in Christ, uh, that the um, justice is satisfied uh, for our sin. Uh, through Christ, and that is a, a, a gift, uh, the most amazing gift uh, ever in the history, Lord, and we, we thank you so much for that, and we are eternally uh, indebted for that. Uh, we just ask that we will rely on Christ and um, just keep our, our minds focused on him, and it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.